we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. When I was in my 20s, I worked as a tree planter for the Eddie Match Company in Northern Ontario. Um, one of my daughters came over for breakfast the other morning, and somehow we got on to this subject. I, th I think it was, she's, she's preparing for college, so she wanted to know, you know, you always want to make money. How did I make my money when I when I was in New York City to put myself through school. And I said, well, I worked two seasons for the Eddie Match Company. She was like, what was that like? Yeah, it, it was interesting. I, I think the the cycle followed that of my ancestors a lot, only on sort of a reverse way where they were felling trees. I was planting trees. Although there was nothing altruistic behind this, the... <laughs> Eddie Match Company. I, I profited from it. The Eddie Match Company was going to eventually turn this stuff into matches and toilet paper um, and then reforest, you know, the region. But it was interesting. You'd, you'd pack up your stuff. You'd take a, a subway down to Union Station in Toronto, and then you'd take a train north. Just as, um, you know, in the 1890s, many of those, uh, those French Canadians took a train north or the Gilmore Road north walking uh, in an earlier era up to, I mean, I, I wasn't uh, near Algonquin Park where we did it. I think we took a train to either Sudbury or to Timmins, something like that. A van would be waiting for you, you know, at the train station and uh, you'd drive two or three hours into the bush. You'd live in a tent You'd get up in the dark at five in the morning. You'd eat in a in a like a canvas mess tent. Um, the, the diet very similar. I mean, it would be beans and lard and maple syrup, anything to give you energy. And then you'd be driven to um, the woods or what remained of the woods. You know after. After they felled all the timber, they would they would dig up the 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 roots and the trunks, the, everything that was left over, and they'd plow them to the side, which would create what they called windrows, these long corridors. And you'd you'd be given like a tray of trees. Um, I think there were like a hundred saplings in a in a tray. You'd put them in a. Um, 
like a pouch you carried with you, and then you'd proceed to plant the woundro. Uh, and we had a tool, this thing called a potaputki. It's about three foot long. And my daughter thought I was making that up. She said, that's a made-up Canadian word right there, if I've ever heard one. <laughs> it's a potaputki. So it's this long um, metal tube about three feet long, and you'd you'd jam it into the soil and you'd push your foot down on a lever, which would then the, uh, the point that is in the, in the soil would open up right uh, on two sides. And then you'd take the tree and you'd drop it down the tube into the soil, pull your pot of putki out and then take your boot and kind of mash the dirt around, uh, what you planted and then move on and you needed to get into a rhythm of this i mean it was sort of like boom doom move dum doom move you know something like this this very you know specific rhythm uh because you uh the the goal was to plant like 1200 to 1500 trees a day i mean you'd be out there for 10 hours I think we got paid six or six or eight cents a tree, something like that. So you could make a hundred. I mean, the guys who were really good at it, and I was good at it, um, could make one hundred and twenty, one hundred and fifty dollars a day, right? Um, and the season only lasted about uh, six six weeks, something like that. Uh, and the the conditions were were dreadful, right? I mean, it's black. It's you know, it was. This was done in, in right after school. So I want to say maybe late May, June, black fly season. Um, you would, uh, you know, it's sweltering hot, but you're not in shorts and t-shirt. You, you are fully clothed. You have to have work boots on, number one, because it can be dangerous in those windrows. Um, uh, and you're fully clothed. I mean, even at the, you know, at the wrists, you had gloves on and then you duct tape your wrist so a black fly wouldn't get in. You you wore a helmet, again, for safety. And then you had, we had like med- netting uh, around our faces and heads. And again, that was duct taped. So there'd be no uh, chance that a, a black fly or, you know, a horse fly would get in and, eat, you know, eat you to pieces. Um, I come home in the dark exhausted and the next day do it all over again and of course you'd save a ton of money because there was nothing to spend it on (laughs) right up there i mean absolutely nothing i mean occasionally i think i think maybe every 10 days we got a couple of days off or a day off you'd go into sudbury you know um you we went canoeing once uh you know basically you drink beer in a strip bar because there was nothing else really to do whatsoever but that's, I mean, as I say, that's how I, that's how I made my, my money. And, um, <clears throat> and some were not, some were not good at it, uh, quite frankly. Uh, some would leave after a couple of days. Um, and I think that's because they had the means where they didn't need to do it. I had no choice. I needed to make my money um, for the following winter Um while I was in school and, and, you know, to pay my rent and that in, in New York City or I, I, you know, I wasn't going to be able to go. It was as simple as that. 
Um, so that uh, that's my experience is, uh, uh, with that style of life um, when I was a you know a kid. What's bred in the bone will out in the flesh. This is Who Killed Teresa. And we're going to focus today on our last part, part three of Canadian Timber Trilogy. Who killed Allure Lumber? back in part one we focused on the Gilmore family the lumber barons from originally from Scotland from the Glasgow area um, and then in part two we uh, spent a little time on the um, mysterious death of Canadian pioneer artist Tom Thompson who coincidentally a decade after the Gilmores cleared out at Canoe Lake um, took up residence there and uh, used the landscape as his artistic inspiration. And through this, we've we've alluded that um, my great grandfather Edward Allure had worked for the Gilmores and had also, um, for a period of his life, uh, worked the lumber camps at uh, Moet on Canoe Lake, and also had worked at the big sawmill on the Trent River, um, on the Bay of Quinty in Trenton, Ontario. And part three is his story, uh, my great-grandfather's story, uh, Edward. Um, but in order to understand his story, we need to go way back and um, talk a little bit about uh, where he came from, his ancestors, and how he ended up uh, in Ontario in the first place. My ancestors came to what was then New France uh, from the Rouen uh, region of France uh, in about the 1660s, so a full generation after um, Samuel Champlain founded Quebec City in, I believe, 1608, if my history, if I remember it right. So, and the, the earliest ancestor who came was someone named Francois Allure. Um, and uh, he, he married a woman who was a fille de roi, like one of the, one of the, the king's daughters. It's rumored that these were women who were former prostitutes, uh, who were ordered to go and and populate the new colony to become husbands to the men who were working um, the uh, what was then or is now the Quebec City region, and uh, so the Allors settle in the Charlesburg area, which is just north of what is now Quebec City, more specifically in Beauport. Um, 
And I know this because um, when um, I went to the National Gallery to see those Tom Thompson paintings, uh, I then went to the Museum of, of History as well. And to my astonishment, there's a map from like the early 1700s of the original French colonies. And it has laid out to you the, the plots of land and who was assigned to each plot. And lo and behold, there's the name Alar, uh, A-L-A-R. And that is Francois. Um, of course, they didn't spell, well, that's probably how you do spell it. Eventually became Alard and then Allure. And it's it's interesting how it, 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 some of these were laid out in long strips that ran down to the uh, St. Lawrence River. So you would have access to farm, but you'd also have access to a waterway. But in some cases, they were they were set up like a like a sundial or a wheel, and you'd have in the center of town, um, like the grist mill and the church, and the, the, the these long spokes would extend out to the exterior. And the the Alars had three spokes uh, in the 1660s. And um, if you think it, uh, you know, at life in those pioneer times, you'd be assigned the land. You'd have to clear it in order to make, make it farmable. You'd, you wouldn't want to waste anything. So you'd learn how to, you know, what to do with a felled tree. You'd turn it into a cabinet and a table and chairs. You'd turn it into a home. Um, and then, you, you know, you'd, you, during the season, you'd farm the land, turn it into wheat. Uh, you'd have the um, privilege of going into Center Square to, you know, uh, process uh, your, your wheat or whatever, barley or whatever it is you were growing. Um, and then you'd probably have to pay a sum for the privilege of living on the king's land or the, the governor's land or wh whoever it might have been. And then you'd, you'd do it all over again. So I think this is how many of these uh, settlers learned trades very early on. You'd, you'd learn how to be a lumberman. You'd learn how to be a furniture maker. You'd learn how to be a farmer, um, just for basic, basic survival. But the Allures are only in the Quebec City region for about 100 years. Uh, right around the 1760s, um, they disappear and they, they show up later um, in Saint-Denis or uh, uh, Richelieu. And, you know, I've often thought, well, what made them leave? Well, what happened in 1759? 1759, the Battle of the Plains of Abraham in uh, Quebec City. Uh, Montcalm um, is expecting an attack by the English um, rather than coming um, from the sea uh, and um, up through Old Town, they they go further downstream uh, to um, Wolf Cove, General Wolf, of course, leading the English. They actually go to where eventually the Gilmores would establish a shipbuilding area. And it's shallower there. And rather than scaling the cliffs in Quebec City, they enter up Gilmore Road, and it's called the Plains of Abraham because Abraham was a farmer at that time. 
And so they come up through the, fi- uh, the farm fields and they surprise uh, Montcalm. Um, Montcalm is fatally wounded. He later dies uh, in an infirmary in uh, Quebec City. Um, English take over Quebec City. Um, and the Allures probably were kicked off their land and and forced to move to saying Denis uh, Richelieu. Um, further downstream on the St. Lawrence, on the uh, Richelieu River. Um, in the same region where we, in early episodes, when we were talking about murder, um, the Richelieu is, of course, uh, uh, Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu is uh, where Denis Bazinet was found. Chambly is where Helen Manast was found. So they're in this region. Um, and the Allures were there for a while. Uh, but then again, right around 1837, like the late 1830s, uh, they disappear from this area and they show up in the Trois-Rivières region. And again, I'm like, wh- what could have compelled them to leave from this area? Well, what happens in 1837-38? It's the, it's the, the Upper Canada Rebellion. Uh, right. And again, the French are kicked off their land and, you know, by the English. So um, they're forced to move somewhere else. And it's Trois-Rivières. Now, um, Trois-Rivières is eventually where Edward Allure is born in uh, the 18, 1860s. He's born in the Trois-Rivières region. Um, the Gilmores had a sawmill in Trois-Rivières. And um, you can surmise that this is probably how they, they hooked up uh, my great grandfather and uh, David Gilmore. And then the, you know, so the last clue that kind of gives you an idea that, okay, what brought him from Trois Rivières to Trenton, Ontario? And a friend of mine found in a North Hastings, Ontario newspaper dated October 13, uh, 1881, the following notice. It says, uh, it says 95 French Canadians from the Three Rivers, Quebec area arrived here on the Friday evening train bound for Gilmore and Company's lumber shanties where they have been engaged to work. They are a terribly rough and seemingly ignorant lot fit only for the backwoods. So I I think that's how uh, that's exactly how it happened. He struck up a deal with Gilmore to, to go on this great adventure, and wound up in the early 1880s in the Trenton region of Ontario. So from the early 1880s till about 1901, Edward uh, Allure worked for the, the Gilmores. Uh, he, he was first a logger, and then he became what is called a, a, a lumber color, and that's a, a sorter or a grader, which was actually a very, you needed to get a, a license in order to, be, to, to grade lumber. So it was a rather important um, Occupation, and then finally he worked as a 
as head foreman. And um, he was usually at the Gilmore Sawmill in, in Trenton um, between April and October. And then in the winters, uh, he, would, he would spend like from November to March, he would work in the lumber camps up north, um, cutting and preparing uh, timber for the spring log uh, drives. And mainly in, as I say, the Algonquin uh, region and Canoe Lake. Um, and he started a, a family at this time. He married a woman named Mary Cormier. And more, Mary came along with him uh, when he'd go into the bush. And her job was to um, prepare the meals, repair the clothing for the men for up to, um, there'd be several people doing this, but she was assigned to task to approximately 40 men in the lumber camps. And she'd clean the bunkhouse, you know, the bunkhouse, which eventually became Mowat Lodge, um, um, under the, the proprietor being Shannon Frazier. So the, um, the, 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 she cleaned the bunkhouse where Tom Thompson spent his last evening before he died on, uh, July 8th, um, um, 1917. And, um, so, so they raised, uh, a family during this time, um, I think I think about four girls and four boys. I, I don't want to get into too much detail with all with all of them, but um, there were some older boys, Alfred, Thomas, and Harry, and of course Thomas. We've we've focused on uh, Thomas Allure was was Edward's, I think, second son, who who went off and and got killed at at Vimy Ridge, uh, in in World War One and. That's the focus of the, I think it's podcast 16, is the, the death of, uh, of Thomas Edward Allure. And, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting contrast uh, where Tom Thompson in 1917 was waxing poetic about duty and honor and, and wishing to serve in that war. Thomas Edward was really doing it. And like writing a letter from the front that uh, basically says, get me the hell out of here. Um, now, <clears throat> Harry, I know this is the, also the one of the older sons of Edward. Her Harry's wife died in, under tragic circumstances and. And though he was, so he left Trenton for a while. I think he went to a sawmill in Halliburton, Ontario, and was disassociated from the family. But the the two sons I want to focus on are um, my my grandfather Charles, um, who is also the grandfather of my cousin Paul, and Charles's brother Wilford. Uh, Allure. Now, Wilford was born in the bush. Uh, he was uh, born in 1899 at uh, Canoe Lake in the, in the lumber camp. Um, and as I say, uh, just there's going to be a whole cast of characters here we're going to talk about. But for right now, you just you need to know Edward and you need to know the two younger brothers, Charles and Wilfred. So if we're we're envisioning uh, uh, 
Edward. Um, and so, so what happened after um, 1901 when he stopped working for uh, the Gilmores? Well, as we know, the um, the Gilmore business just it collapsed. Uh, they couldn't make the tramway work. They bailed a, a mill on Canoe Lake, but they can't make that work. They just they have too many debts. Um, and circumstances are mounting up that will force them to go bankrupt and eventually for for David Gilmore to flee the country and move to Buffalo, New York. As a, a sidebar, to, to, to give you an idea of how high the stakes were um, with the Gilmores, now recall that David's brother, um, Alan, eventually... They said he accidentally killed himself with a shotgun, but he commit he committed suicide over debts. And David's father, John Gilmore, when David went to Trenton, uh, John Gilmore remained in Quebec. He ran the operations in Montreal and Quebec City, the shipbuilding and the shipping um, operation out of Quebec City. And that's why it's called Gilmore Hill to this day because he lived right at the top of that hill. He eventually built um, like a mansion at the top of the hill where Abraham's farm was, uh, Battle of the Plains of Abraham. Now, John uh, was having business failures. And then in, in 1877, things reached a pitch in Montreal. And John disappeared. Um, and in the spring, uh, after the melt... John Gilmore was found floating in the St. Lawrence River, and it was surmised that because of um, creditors and business failings, he walked out on the ice um, in February 1877, and he drowned right there. So in the late 1800s, turn of the prior century, um, with all of the Gilmore's troubles, particularly David, um, and with Edward Award Lord working as the, the head foreman, he must have seen the, the writing on the wall here, that this was not a sustainable um, proposition for him any longer. And this family story goes, um, so um, at, the, at the big mill on the Bay of Kinty in Trenton, Quinty, um, you know, when you when you saw a log, right, you shear off um, the four ends of it, right? And um, you square the log is what you do. And then um, and then you then cut that square. Sometimes you just ship that that squared log or sometimes if you're going to use it locally, you saw it into planks and boards. Um, so there's these four pieces of waste right, with bark attached to it, which is is called slab wood. Um, and um, the story, you know, you, and that stuff would just pile up, like in chipyards and things like that. And the story goes something like this. Uh, Edward kind of goes to Gilmore, or someone in authority there, and says, hey, you, you see all that waste? Yeah. Um, what are you going to do with it? Nothing. Well, can I have it? Yeah, sure. You know, you can be our garbage garbage disposal through this slab wood. And um, clever Edward, um, he then cuts this uh, 
this waist into 16 inch lengths, which he then begins going around the Trenton area with a horse and wagon full of uh, slab wood and and selling it to people uh, for fuel and firewood. And legend has it that's how he began his uh, his what became very much an empire in the Montreal and Toronto region. Um, originally um, called the Allure Company Limited. Uh, it was established in uh, 1903. So two years after he leaves uh, Gilmore, it's formally established. I don't think he had a, a store at that time. I think he just, he just had a, a wagon. But... Um, the Allure Company Limited eventually becomes Allure Lumber. And as I say, it's known throughout the region. It starts, you know, with this horse and buggy. And, uh, you know, naturally, they, in, as years progressed, they, they moved into um, selling coal. Um, by the time I knew the business in the 1970s, it was fuel oil. Uh, I well remember my cousins uh, driving a fuel oil truck around and and my and my uncle you, you know in fr- you'd park it in front of a house you'd take the hose out you'd fill up the tank adjacent to the house you'd move on to the next house and they also you know back to the you know early early days of the business you know Edward's just trying to make a living so what else does he do well he starts in the winters uh, chopping up blocks of ice on the Trenton River, storing it in sheds, uh, you know, wrapped in, you know, like I imagine canvas and, and sawdust. And then he'd sell that in the summers, you know, to offset and complement the, the winter fuel. Now there's the, the summer refrigeration. And, and that's, that's how the whole thing started. Eventually, he'd move into, you know, there, there was a, uh, you know, a storefront, um, a lower lumber on Front Street S- started modestly, uh, expanded to eventually there's a whole wood yard, um, much like a traditional uh, lumber company, you'd imagine. And uh, so all the boys went to work. Um, and so this is, again, where my grandfather Charles comes in and his brother Wilford come in. Around the 1920s, uh, Edward, um, you know, he's older now. I think I think he's in his 60s, 70s, and he decides he wants to sell the business. And the only brothers with any money are Charles and uh, Wilford. Uh, they had sometimes been employed as shoe salesmen, and they managed to cobble together to cobble together three thousand bucks. Um, and they buy the business from Edward, uh, Allure, the Allure Company, um, and probably the three thousand dollars went largely for um, for you know debts that were owed, and that's how they get their hands on Allure Lumber. That sets the stage for who killed Allure Lumber, and um, what I'm going to do is I'm now I'm going to let my cousin Paul. Uh, tell the remainder of the this story when uh, when we were there on on that um, expedition we did in search of the Gilmore camp and in search of 
uh, on the trail of Tom Thompson. So the day after that, on uh, I guess it was uh, July 9th, Sunday morning, 2017, we got up early that morning and um, we went down to his dock and had several cups of coffee and told old stories. And this is one of the stories that Paul told. Um, and to um, need to give you a little information um, about who we're talking here, um, just so you're not completely in the dark. You don't have to know everybody, but you do need to know that my great-grandfather, Edward, was always known through the Trenton region as the boss. And my grandfather, Charles, our grandfather, Charles, we we called him Papa. So that's who Papa is in this in this story. And um, in addition to Charles and Wilford is uh, um, brothers. So um, Wilford had a son named Bill Allure and um, and Ch uh, Charles had a son named Paul Allure, who is my father's brother. So that's where you get me and Paul Jr. So there's there's the Paul I'm with, but there's also my uncle Paul in this story. And the stage was set for Bill and Paul Sr. to take over from Charles and Wilford. Um, and this is this is not my story. It's more a story about my 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 cousin's family. Charles to to Paul to Paul. Uh, my father never played a part in this whatsoever. In fact, I asked him the other day, did you ever work at uh, Allure Lumber? He said, not a day in my life. I never made a delivery. I never did anything. My, my father was quite different. He, um, he was the first in the Allure family to graduate from college. So, well, well, well everybody was going through this, this drama that was happening with the family business. My father was out. He was at McGill University. He went to McGill and then he became an engineer. Um, um, so, you know, in the, in the kind of, it's a wonderful life, Bedford Falls realm, you know, my father is, is by no means George Bailey. Um, He's George Bailey if George Bailey decided to leave and, and join Frank Wainwright in New York City. That's who my father is. Uh, he's not, you know, he didn't, as I say, he didn't, he didn't play a, a part in the theater and uh, the, 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 the um, tragedy is too strong a word. The events that, that occurred um, after the business was sold to Charles and Wilford. Were you there when the lumber yard was sold? No. So, um, now dates, I'm not, I have the, the sequence of events, but probably need to match sure. it with the dates. So, um, Bill Allure gets lung cancer. Yeah. That's where it starts. Okay. Okay. The lumber business in Trenton, um, I'm not sure if you know this, but... Wilfred. Hang on, hang on. Who is Bill Allure? Okay. All right. Because <laughs> <No, no, no. laughs> yeah. right. so. I think I know, but now I'm not so sure. Okay. He's so. he's not one of the boss's sons. He's somebody else's son. He's Wilford's son. Right. right. Wilford's son, Bill. Okay. Right? And Bill Allure 
Um, so yeah, it's, let's set up the hierarchy then. So you got the boss. This is a whole other story yeah. that I know fragments of. The boss, and he has a whack of sons. Yeah. So how did Wolfer and Charlie get the business? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? Yeah. That's a question I asked yeah. early on. Yeah. And Dad and Nanny and Papa. Not too much Papa because he wouldn't talk about it. Nanny was a great source of info for me. And that, like that Gilmore era thing I did, yeah. that's old. I got the most of that from Nanny. Yeah, yeah. Sat down yeah. with Nanny. I even had a, yeah. damn, and I should have kept the cassette. I recorded oh, did a you lot really? of that. Uh, I don't know where it went. Yeah, I was young yeah, then, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, and... Um, Anyhow, uh, so we us start there. How did Charlie and Wilford, there was Harry, there were all these guys. Alfred. Older was, than yeah. them. Yes. Yeah. And involved in the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. all worked there. Yeah, yes, they did. At one time. Yeah. And uh, Harry was uh, actually was like one of the lead people in the lumberyard, I was told. So... The way I understand that story was the boss, getting up in his years, wanted to sell the business for money for him for his old age, right? Yeah. He needed some money to survive. Even though Dad and Papa told me that the boss was on the payroll until he died. Uh, okay. And he used to go into work and stand around all day. But he was on the payroll, maybe in a smaller way. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know the dollar wise. But yeah. he, I guess he came to work every day. He was walking the story as he was walking to work. Slipped on ice, broke his hip, and that was the end of it. But so he came, still came down the lumber yard on just a regular basis. So that story, as I was told to me, was that boss was looking to get some income out of the business and went to um, the boys and said I want to sell the business and Charlie and Wolford had some savings uh, and uh, the others yeah. didn't yeah. Yeah. and it was sold sold or transferred for money 51% to Wolford and 49 to Papa. Huh. And I'm not sure why, but it must have been just a little bit less money. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And Wolfer yeah. was older than Papa. Right. Right. Papa worked in a shoe store. Papa worked in a clothing store. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He was an actor. That I know. Yeah. Because I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dad always told yeah. me that Papa yeah. was an actor. He worked in the local theater. And of course, an alderman and, uh, was, you know, very, uh, leader in the community but um, so uh, these are stories that get told to me and that they Papa and Wilford had some savings they were saving some money for whatever reason and this opportunity came around and the others did it so the boss sold it to them and there were hard feelings I was told that and uh, to the point that Papa and Wilford uh, fired basically the rest of the family. They had to go through that. There were hard feelings, and as Dad told me that there was because they they got ousted from this opportunity. They were not working the same. They were taking things. Sure. Disgruntled, you know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I guess 
Popo. Papa fired Harry. Dad told me he remembers the day that Papa went out and asked for Harry to turn in his keys and say it's your last day. And so there was, like all business, there was some, that was I'm sure a difficult time for them in a transition time. And then uh, they got the business 51.49. So that's key because um, my dad told me that through the years, Wolford had a little more say than Papa because of those shares and things that Papa wanted to do, Wilford would override. But mm -hmm. Papa was <coughs> the driving force in the business. Yeah. And even, I'll tell you, I've been around it since I was a kid and um, worked there part-time. And I say worked there for a couple of years full-time. And I had the most, I tell my kids this whole time, I had the rare opportunity of working with my family. Yeah. And... Papa was something, I'm going to tell you. He was, customer was king. He ran that place. He was a fair-minded man, he, but he was a hard worker. He had a lot of energy. It was, that was his business. Yeah. Wolford was just there. Yeah. And my mind yeah. stood at the end of the counter. Uh, I think he had a cigar for a while. Over, just overseeing the operations, basically. Yeah. 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 The mayor? No. Yeah, like the mayor. <laughs> the end of the counter there. He was grouchy. <laughs> Papa wasn't grouchy. Papa was just a businessman. And when people came, salesmen and people and contractors, they're in Papa's office. Yeah. He had that glass office there, right? That. In yeah. Papa's office. Yep. So that, that's my memory of it. Papa was running the place, and Papa... I learned a lot of my customers' uh, service skills from Papa. He had a lion on his door, customer is king. And he always spoke of that, customer, Paul, take care of the customer, customer is king, customer is king. And he was like a modern-day customer service guy. People come in the door, you're over to see if you can help them. You know, and it's all that relationship. Know people's names and that kind of stuff. Know their names, yeah, relationship. Call them by name. Can we do for you? And every Christmas, Paul's job was to get drive all the bottles to the companies. That was that, awesome. That do business with them. Oh, really? That was my job at Christmas <laughs> when I got driving age. It was awesome. And Papa did it. Papa took. Uh, Papa's in charge of that in the that back area of the lumber yard. He would have uh, forty pounders <laughs> wrapped. Right, with a bow on it yeah. and a tag. And I'm not kidding, there'd be 50 of them all on this desk, you know, there. And I would come in on a Saturday morning, you'd take me in there, Paul, okay. And he'd, he'd, he'd take them out in chunks, like, you know, okay. And he, and what I remember, pallets? Yeah, pallets, right? He'd say to me, he'd say, well, my instructions were, it goes to this person on the list, and you hand it to him. Oh, you don't leave it on a desk. That's you don't leave it with anyone else. <laughs> and if they're not there, bring it back. We'll go another day. <laughs> that's good. That's key, really. That's yeah. good. Well, that's interesting, because years later, when I was a kid um, in St. John, New Brunswick, at Christmas, yeah. my father would... 
for his customers at Point Loop Pro. Yes, do that. He he would, you know, one day he'd have a twenty, not as many, maybe twelve to twelve to twenty turkeys and, yes. and a bottle of something. Yes, and he'd drive around, and I'd have to run up to the awesome. door and drop it off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was a tradition, I could tell. And those people were, were looking for it. <laughs> I better I come to suspect it. Come to expect it. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. They're all really great. I, and I'd have to go into all these plants, right? And, and the base was a big customer of the Lumberyard. Papa had groomed a relationship there with the, the commanders. And as they come and go, he made a special effort of connecting with the base. That kept the lumber business going. We sent stuff down to that base like you wouldn't yeah, believe. Yeah, and yeah. they had money. They didn't care what the price was. <laughs> Sending the federal money. <laughs> so I had to go and hunt down. And then all the... in At the time in Trenton, Trenton had quite a bit of industry. It's like gutted now. There's no, like everywhere, yeah. there's no real fabrication or manufacturing. Yeah, but at yeah. the, the time, we had General Electric, Quaker Oats, Erie, Dom Tar, several plants silversmith's place anyways and then the other business but anyway that was my little job that i kind of look forward to at christmas i would do that little run for him and drop all those off so anyway papa 49 wolford 51 and um then at some point in time uh after bill's death Wilford uh, let Papa become an equal shareholder, 50-50. Oh. Yeah, but it was really late in life. and uh, uh, Wilford not want to make decisions? Or? Wilford didn't make any. Yeah. Never seen yeah. one. Maybe in his younger days. I heard he was quite, quite a character in his younger days. And I worked with Papa and Bill and Wilford and Dad. So I had a really insight into not the, the grandfather, you see, but the, the businessman, yeah. which I really valued. Anyhow, so the, the hierarchy is the boss, he sells to Wolford and Charlie. They have family. And then you end up with Bill, who's Wolford's son and my dad working in the business, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, this is where my dad is like, I'm not, Tammy says, I'm very, probably got some, I got the allure in me, but she says, you're not like your dad, probably not like your dad at all. He told, like, he's just not very go-getter guy. Kind of like your mom, like you got your mom's yeah. kind of more like, socially, you know. Like dad had all the opportunity that, Bob had. He could have went to school. Yeah. He could have went away to school. In fact, uh, Dad told me many times, yeah, Bob got down to Laurier and McGill there, and he said, Paul, come on down with me. We're going, it's great down here. And he could have done all that, but no, 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 it was too much for him. Yeah, yeah. Stay where it's secure and safe mm -hmm. and Trenton. So he worked in the lumber yard, and Dad, so this was the arrangement, Dad ran the outside. Okay. okay. The whole yeah, yeah the, yard, the yard, the yard, and the mill, and all that. Yeah. And that didn't happen right away. He worked there, and then, you know, as people changed, and he's the son of one of the owners, so he moved up, and he ended up being. He was called the yard foreman. 
and Bill ran the office portion. So this is really interesting part, John, as I see it. The family roles changed. Papa's the businessman. Okay. Yeah. Papa's the businessman. He's on council. He's part of. He was a founding member, a charter member of the Knights of Columbus. Yes. Yeah. He's yeah. developed relationships in the community. He's well connected. The business is thriving, and I put that all on Papa's relationship building with the industry and his yeah. business savvy and his customer service skills. Wolford, I saw as a figurehead. He was there. Yeah. He worked a bit. I never seen him work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. at the end yeah. of the counter. Yeah. Honest, I didn't. But I saw Papa running. I the vaguely place. remember that. I remember. Well, I remember Papa being very, like my memories. I have. It's very different. But I remember Papa being active, and active. Wilford being still. Yes, yeah. that's exactly yeah. as. Yeah. As it was, as, yeah. and I was, you know, as you're there. So, and then along comes two of their, you know, sons. Bill takes the puppet role up. So the guy who's not engaged with the community is now the guy in charge of, I was supposed to be doing community outreach and engaging with the customer. Oh, no, yeah, Bill. Yeah. Or the son of the guy. The son of the guy. Yeah, yeah. But he does become engaged. Oh, oh, no, he does, and he he ends up he's president of the Kiwanis Club, right? He's a golfer. He get he he follows the Papa model. Okay. And Bill was Papa's shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. not Papa's son. Yeah. He runs the bits. He's he learns from Papa. Dad could have done that, but no, that's not Dad. Dad's happy to be out in the yard, yeah. outside. Organizing the lumber and taking care of things. Yeah. That's his comfort level. Yeah. Yeah. Bill's the other. He's inside. And I'd be there around and I worked there part time. And I was, and Bill was, I saw that right away. Wow. Bill's Papa's protege. Bill's yeah. following the Papa model. So, and, and Bill was really connected in the community and uh, really a nice. He was a he was a great guy, Uncle Bill. I really liked him. He was very nice and good in, uh, mannerisms, and always jovial, and never saw him mad. And, and he's like a papa. I mean, yeah. but it went crossways. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. Wolford dad maybe wasn't quite to stand at the counter, but he was happy to be a back roll. Yeah, and was fine with that. Yeah, yeah. Man had no animosity or nothing. He liked that. That was good. He's out in the yard. He's doing his thing. And I worked out in the yard quite a bit too, and I had the, you know, opportunity to work with my dad, and he was a hard-working guy. You know, he, yeah. he taught me that um, there's a time when you can go slow and not kill yourself, and there's a time when you got to bust it. That was a lesson I got yeah. from my dad, yeah. and I use that even to today. Yeah. There's a time when you got to bust it, right? Yeah. 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 And there's a time you can kind of just take it really easy. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you got to feel it out when those times are. Yeah. Go, 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 a little bit of calm. Go, go, go. I, I use that through my life and work because if you go, 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 go continuously, you burn yourself. You're done. Yeah, yeah. So you look for those times. Okay, so that's the hierarchy. Bill's running the office. He's now the community engager and doing a really good job of it. Papa's getting a little older. And then, so those two are 
kind of running up things. Bill gets cancer. How old was he? 50s? Early 50s. Yeah, yeah. Lung cancer. Ah, oh, jeez. And within a year, he's gone. Absolute huge void there. Papa's back left with running that side of the business. Dad can't step up to do it. Yep. He won't do it. Yep. So, Wilford, I say, died of a broken heart. Yeah. Within a couple of years, Wilford's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Died of a broken heart. And w Wilford lived just across the street from you guys, right? In Pine Acres? No, or, Bill. Or, oh, it was Bill who lived there. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. I not only worked with <clears throat> family, Bill, but we lived about five doors down on Pine Acres. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, Bill and June. That's right. And June was my mom's sister, Harrison. So, it's quite uh, a connection, eh? Okay. And we lived five doors down, so we were close. Dad's cousin, first cousin, and mom's sister. Yeah. So we interacted a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Family gatherings and barbecues and and my uncle Bill had a swimming pool, which was awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. And he was really good about it. He would you know call down to our house just down the road. If your gang wants to come up for a swim, it's a hot night, you know, it's for air conditioning, you know, come on up and there's five of us we can up there. <laughs> called it died of a broken heart he just give up it's what he saw for his family it's, he's the only son Wilford had two daughters and a son and that he was doing all this to, I think Bill would take over and, um, at that time Wilford had 51% and that was going to be Bill's and Bill would carry the business forward and then Bill has a really lung cancer and dies very quickly and uh, then Wilford goes in a matter of a couple of years. And in that couple of years, that's when you rationalize with Papa and Sid, you know, 50. So what happens to Wilford's share after Wilford dies? Okay, so this, this is, this, yeah. that's the end of the lumberyard. I'll tell you, that's how it happened. Okay. And you know, there's a company called Running Me Development. And the same, and when I was in Ajax, the same thing happened to them, huh. that, which happened to the lumber business. It was just like, wow, this does happen family-run business in the uh, uh, one side of the family, a large family, one side died uh, in an unfortunate uh, accident. Uh, anyway, so this was, Bill dies, Wilford dies, and this is the latter part of the 70s. Yeah. Do you remember the interest rates then? Yeah. 20? Yeah, yeah, 20%? yeah. percent Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So here's what happened. The tape kind of got um, uh, overwhelmed by wind at this point, but uh, what Paul was trying to say was that um, given the situation, um, that side of the family needed their money and needed uh, to, the business to liquidate. Well, I remember sitting in my papa's office and papa saying to me, I really don't want to sell the business, Paul. I, but I, we have no choice. 
we can't afford to finance the 50%. Yeah, that's what happened. And they wouldn't, they were, they had lawyers and they wanted their money. There was no like, keep the business going to later. There was no, we'll take some profits. Right. We'll be shareholders. We want our money. And, and Beaver Lumber, over the years, I've seen them in and out of there talking to Papa, trying to twist his arm to sell, and Papa, no, I'm not selling, no, I'm not selling, no, I'm not selling, I'm not selling. And then they, like vultures around there, they knew this, they, yeah. they were in. And to be honest with you, the business was sold for a song in terms of today's value. I don't know the amount, but worth like quadruple more than that but it was sold for well they probably knew the situation they and, knew the situation and, and knew that there's no room to negotiate and so they had them yep and that I Papa was a still a, a energized thriving individual and when that business was sold yeah. it was the end of him he mm. went downhill he lost his purpose in life yep yeah yeah that in a nutshell is what happened. The other, and it happened to this Runnymede company the same way. Runnymede owned properties throughout the GTA, and they had a similar situation. Two brothers who owned uh, the business, and one died, and that side of the family wanted their money. The same thing. Oh no, nope, they wanted their money. Oh they had God. to liquidate yeah. everything. Yeah, and you can't move that fast when somebody, you're not just sitting on cash. No. Yeah. And they couldn't. Papa couldn't, I, and he's a biz, he's, he, I remember sitting right in his office, and he, and he said, you have no choice, you have to sell. That's such a shame. Yeah, 20% interest, 18 to 20 God. around there. Yeah, yeah. So you just can't, I said, yeah. And the other thing, I think, uh, Papa said this to me, was, and, you know, your dad's not really up to managing the whole business at all. And I said, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. And I'm getting old. And he said, "You're too young, and you don't yeah. have the money. You don't have any money. Money, yeah. It's money. If yeah. if I would have had yeah. a million bucks, or no, whatever it was, a few hundred yeah. thousand, or had We're, equity, right. I might have yeah. freaking done it myself. But at twenty percent interest, no, gone. And it was they were in the minute. The deal was done. And then I stayed for the transition. Transition. Papa, Papa asked me to do that. Yep. He said, "Would you, would you, would you come back to? Well, we need help." He said. That must have been hard to watch that. Mm. Yeah. And uh, my mom came in to help too during that transition. And I sort of remember that. Yep. Yeah. She came in and worked there for the transition yeah. after. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I didn't stay. She, she was at the counter? Yeah. Yeah. Mom worked there. She was working at Canadian Tire. And uh, so she kind of knew the hardware and stuff. And and then Dad's still outside. So you, take, you lost Wolford and Bill. And then we're still trying to keep the business profitable or running. But we know it's sold and then we're in the... And then when we sold, there was, like, we had to get rid of all the, we had to sell the stock. Like, they yeah. didn't buy the stock. Yeah. Bring it back. 
some of that I blanked out. I bet. Oh, I bet. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Definitely. You'd have to. Uh. Anyway, that's, so that's how the business got sold. Uh. Yeah. I I didn't know that. Yeah. Um. I don't. I mean, I don't. Maybe. No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't no, think no. to ask my dad, and my no. dad's not going to volunteer that. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. no. Bob would know, yeah. I'm sure. Or, yeah. Maybe not as much. I was yeah. there. That's how I recall it. Yeah. Being there, it was the, the unfortunate uh, for them and for the family deaths of two key family members and the other side of the family wanting their money. But I guess I'm in their shoes and I got no interest in the business. I, <coughs> she, I see her when I go home for go Christmas, home, yeah. Christmas or if I go to. I usually go to Mass on Christmas, I'll usually bump into her there. St. Peter's there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got married in St. Peter's. Did you really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. and so yeah. did yeah. And Kirsten got married in St. Really? Peter's, too. So we had, we had four generations. Mm. Papa and Nanny got married there. Yes. Mom and Dad got married there. Yes. I got married there, and Kirsten got married. Okay. Same church. Yeah. Wow, that's depressing. Well, <laughs> you know what? It's not really. It's, too, it's, it's just what happened. This is from the Trentonian newspaper dated October 20th, 1979. The Allure Company Limited announces the closing of our business after 76 years serving the area. We sincerely wish to thank all our faithful customers who have shopped with us for many years. It has always been our pleasure to serve you. We will miss you all. We have employed quality staff at all times in our business and wish to thank them for their service with us and wish them well in their future endeavors. Once again, thank you all. Mr. Chaz Allure, Mr. Paul Allure, family of the late Mr. Wilf Allure. Paul mentions how uh, after the business was sold, my grandfather, Charlie, just went into decline, he sort of gave up. And it probably didn't help matters that six months before that October 20th notice, in April of 1979, his granddaughter was found dead in a ditch in Compton, Quebec. Getting back to the boss, um, you know, obviously I didn't know him, he died in the 50s, but, um, you know, I think families are known by, <laughs> I think when you, when you, when you get beyond like the fourth or fifth generation, you, you lose knowledge, the, the, the story can't be sustained, you lose things, but nevertheless, uh, over the years, my, uh, my father is, um, sort of cataloged some of the memories from uh, Edward Allure, the boss, um, particularly expressions. Um, one of my favorite is, um, he used to say, it's going to be a freeze cat out tonight. 
And this is because <laughs> the story goes um, one night at the Trenton Arena, um, which I believe Gilmore donated, donated, somebody took a frozen cat and threw it on the ice. So that became the expression for a really cold night. Um, he used to say, uh, <laughs> a farting horse never tires, a farting man's man to hire. And um, on the subject of death, uh, he said, uh, when the good Lord says, come, no lip, no sass. My father's only addition to uh, this uh, memory was that when he knew Charles and Wilford in the 50s as a, as a teenager, he recalled that, um, that Wilford handled the yard and Charles handled, handled the customer that, that Wilford was really shrewd with the suppliers and keeping them happy, but keeping pricing down. That's how he recalls it. Recall that when David Gilmore lived in Trenton, Ontario, um, he lived in a residence called Prospect House, which was at the top of the hill on Dundas Street on the east side of the Trent River where he could overlook his lumber empire. My grandfather Charles, when I knew him, lived at the top of Dundas Street on the west side of the Trent River um, in what was then um, a, a modern split-level house overlooking uh, the Trent River. Today, my Uncle Paul, Paul Jr.'s father, um, lives in a residence um, where he can he can go outside and, and, and look at the park, which once was the Gilmore Lumberyard. I've actually visited uh, Beauport in Quebec, um, it's a historical site. This is where my uh, my ancestors uh, first came back in the 1600s, and uh, many of the homes—not the original homes, but homes from the 1700s, I think, late 1700s—are still there in Beauport. And uh, I've I've often thought. In my retirement, it might be nice to return there. Buy one of the original plots of land held by the Allures um, back in those times. And live out your days.
Wednesday, October 6th, CSI, the global phenomenon, opens a brand new chapter in Las Vegas. And an existential threat calls the crime lab's legacy and future into question. A brilliant new team of investigators will enlist the help of friends from the past as they deploy the latest forensic techniques to do what they do best, follow the evidence, in order to preserve and serve justice in Sin City and uncover the truth. CSI Vegas series premiere Wednesday, October 6th on CBS. Every advertiser knows the perfect campaign needs the perfect music to make it really pop. With Premium Beat, you get tracks produced by award-winning musicians working in world-class studios. So all of your videos will sound and feel professional. Best of all, unlike other music providers, our license gives you tracks for a lifetime. Pay once and never again. Save 25% on your next track. Just visit premiumbeat.com royalty dash free slash podcast to redeem your coupon. That's premiumbeat.com royalty dash free slash podcast.